Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Joe Lupton. And boy, do we have a lot of stuff to talk about here. Yeah, two I'm... weeks to catch up on, Bruce. Good <laughs> thing not much has happened. <laughs> well, where do we jump in? I guess I, the way I want to jump in here is in conversations we've been having this week, which is how to process the um, the enormous set of news we've been getting against the backdrop of the views we have um, about the business cycle. And those views include, I would argue, uh, the way to summarize it is, is an idea that uh, we are generally not on a sustainable path here, that um, there are uh, good reasons to think that this expansion will end early, but there's also every reason to think that this expansion um, is not easily predictable in either the timing, the rate path, or the depth of the recession that we'll have. And in, in that context, our bias has been for later, higher, and deeper in terms of outcomes relative to the way we would perceive the consensus. So now we're sitting here, and in the last you know number of weeks, we've got surprising news on growth, surprising news on inflation, Surprising news, of course, from uh, the financial markets and the banking system more generally. So I'll just leave it there, Joe, for you to pick up and however, however you want to enter into this fray. Well, I, well, I think the the real question to that throws I don't want to say a wrench in that, but certainly makes it a bit more complicated is is timing, right? I mean, I, I think everything you laid out is is right. And we've, we've been talking about and, and debating in our conversations kind of a, a bookend of two scenarios. Uh, one is, as, as, as you've kind of taken the side of, that things are going to run hot, they're going to continue to run hot and get hotter, and central banks are eventually going to have to really step in and get Old Testament as we and really jack rates up and drive a recession that comes later, uh, later this year, maybe in next year. The alternative was the soft landing story, team transitory, inflation's gonna come off. Those were two extreme views of the world. I think what we're seeing the last couple of weeks is that, you know, one thing that could be happening is that, you know, something breaks in the financial system, credit conditions are tightening, and that just drives a, a maybe telescopes a bit more the scenario that uh, that you were talking about. We haven't changed our views, and if anything, the data, at least backward looking, though it may be, is pointing to much stronger growth in the first quarter. But I think there's this kind of concern, you know, is there going to be a big tightening uh, in credit conditions around the U.S.? And does that then spill out to the world and drive a, an earlier end to this? this so there's there's a number of dimensions here. One is, um, is what we're doing here actually creating a financial crisis. And in three or four or five, six weeks, we're just going to find ourselves feeling like 2008, maybe not to the same, you know, intensity. Yeah, no, nothing. In fact, something. I just want to pause there for everyone. No, this, I'm not trying to use I know you're not, but just for the listeners, we would firmly say this, the comparisons 2008 are, are, are right. ludicrous. But let me go back to times when you were in diapers and say 1995 <laughs> and 1998, other financial crises, which weren't quite as earth shattering, but still were quite extreme in terms of, uh, as you were going through it, and it obviously in, in both of those cases led to central banks quickly easing. So that would be one one issue is what's the risk that that's happening. The other side of this, as you're saying, is it could it could basically keep us on the same path, but with the idea that credit tightening does more of the work and central banks do less of the work and we end up with the same outcome. And then that raises the interesting question of whether the event, if that's the way it plays out, is 
particularly U.S. centric in a way that if we were getting central bank tightening doing the job, that probably would be more synchronized and more, um, uh, you know, broad based in terms of its its nature. That's the kicker here, right? Because I, it, you could look at what's happening and just say, in fact, I've been kind of leaning in this direction. I think you have as well, which is just, which is that what we're seeing right now is just the kind of the unwritten path of how we're getting to our baseline, right? Our baseline was that, you know, we've, we've tightened a lot. We're going to continue to tighten more. And eventually, by the time you get to this end of this year, you get a mild U.S. recession. And short of some something like really breaking, like a banking crisis, which you and I both think is not in the cards, really all that's going to happen is we're going to get more credit tightening and that's going to start to weigh on things and that's going to deliver exactly what our forecast is. So while it wasn't well articulated, you know, this is just playing out along our baseline, which is frankly why I think our teams have not changed their forecasts at all. Fair, fair enough. But I think we have to be kind of recognizing two other pieces, which we've mentioned, but need to be brought to the fore. One is, boy, the global economy looks like it's gathering some pretty darn good momentum into the end of the first quarter. So part of the story is that this is a credit tightening. This is a stress point that's coming against the backdrop of what I think people haven't fully appreciated in terms of how the fading of last year's drags is providing a lift. The second thing to keep in mind here is that it is certainly possible that we just substitute Fed and ECB tightening for um credit tightening tightening. but um to the degree that that's the case we still have the issue of whether that's going to be enough you know there's magnitudes here because you are getting a lower risk-free interest rate environment you are getting a tighter credit environment against lower commodity prices oil prices are down and lower so the question is whether or not those things are going to be enough to balance it or whether we'll be on the same path later this year perhaps with a little less um emphasis on on tightening in the next few months that central banks are going to have to just say hey you know we've took a little bit of a break uh the credit tightening did the work but we're still kind of facing elevated yeah, inflation let, let, me, let me just expound on that a little bit because you, you make a, a really good point when we we talk about credit tightening we talk about like there's just like one giant tightening of of, of credit policy and credit standards when in fact think for some people, credit conditions are easing a lot. You, you, we rattled them off just a, a second ago, in which case- maybe- Well, let's be careful. I think, okay. I think the price of credit for some borrowers uh, is easing and mortgage rates are coming down. So the price of credit is easing. Monetary conditions are easing somewhat relative to what Commodity the path of credit is. But, but um, credit conditions, I think, are tightening. I, I would distinguish credit conditions from monetary conditions and and the price of credit from the well, I think what you credit. mean credit standards are tightening. That's one aspect of broad credit conditions. This is a semantics debate, so let's not let's not go down this path. But why would, not? We there's like credit. There's credit standards, and then there's like the price of credit. And in some cases, the price of credit's coming down. Uh, I think credit standards are tightening. I think you're going to see tightening for the small and medium-sized banks for sure, more so than what we've already been seeing. Um, but I think when you put it, you know, all together. You know, in some sense, I think there will, will be people to the extent that the, the price of credit is, is, is coming down because of fear and not because of some kind of actual shock. Those are legit 
easier credit conditions broadly for a number number of people in which case so you get refinancing that's that's gonna gonna kick in and that provides a little bit more income takes some pressure off debt service burdens actually the fall in rates is helping some of these small and medium-sized banks in terms of their hold to maturity uh you know portfolios uh, so, so let mean, me just sort of jump in here and and say the you know my bias is to 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 recognize some risk here that things are breaking in a way that we're not appreciating and not to put yeah. that um, completely to the side, but to say that if that's not the case, then the credit drag, which is going to build as a result of these developments, is going to be both U.S.-centric and gradual. Um, and as a result of that, um, the global outlook, at least for the next few months, hasn't really changed that much and is still going to look pretty pretty decent here, that people are way overestimating uh, the risk that we get uh, a broad move toward central bank easing. I think you're going to need that kind of sense of crisis here uh, to deliver. And then to secondly say that um, while the credit tightening, while the inflation news that we've seen in the first part of this year, I think makes it harder for me to be as uh, comfortable with the risks we might have put, even, even though they were low on a soft landing, that you know, I think the recession risks more generally have gone up a bit and with still some decent amount of uncertainty as to whether or not we're done uh, anytime soon on the on the tightening cycle. That's, that's yeah, a lot. I, mean, I think the one scenario that is, has kind of really taken it on the chin here is the soft landing scenario, right? And, and, and that should be important from a, from a pricing of assets side, right? The point is we are going to have a recession and we're feeling a lot more confident than we were, say, at the start of the year when that soft landing scenario looked like it was maybe potentially possible, maybe right? We you were, are looking, you're looking a little less, uh, I was never really a big proponent of soft no, landing. No, but Bruce, but... I think, I think we, we, the team, we were re revising up those odds, right? It was never yeah. our baseline. It was never my baseline, but, you know, it seemed like the odds were increasing. And those, if we look at what we're doing with our, our sense of these scenarios and the probabilities, that's what we're taking from. We're taking away from the soft landing and then we're sprinkling a little bit to the near-term recession, something breaks. We're sprinkling a little bit to the, hey, things are running hot and the Fed may have to go up to 6% or more. Uh, and both of those are, are you know, are, are, are recessions and they should- but Let's let's address the, the uh, relative performance issue because it certainly matters for things like the dollar here. How much of this feels like it's gonna be a US event, especially, given the fact that even in the path we thought we were on, uh, the momentum lifting in, um, in China is clearly dominating everything else in terms of momentum in the first quarter. Um, and that, um, you know, we thought Europe would be lifting as well. And if you put on top of that some reasonable expectations that the Asian weakness in tech and industry more generally are going to turn, that this is going to be an event that's going to reinforce the idea that the U.S. may not be in recession anytime soon, but it's going to underperform, and with that, uh, the dollar comes under downward pressure. What do you what What do you think about that? I think that that's I, that's a fair characterization. I would also point out it's a fair characterization of what our baseline was going all the way back to November, right? A U.S. mild recession with Europe continuing to grow and China reopening uh, that got amplified, and and you could argue that this this kind of banking potential small medium-sized banking sector shock is is going to amplify it even more so you're 100% right but the qualitatively it's our baseline story right and if that's right 
Now, I will say, and maybe this is a place to pivot and just get back to the knitting of the data flow, uh, there's no doubt the flash PMIs were very strong. Uh, we were looking for them to be flat this week. They ended up going up, I don't know, one, two, two points. Point, two point, point. one points. That's I mean, a that, that, that's, a, that's a big move. It was heavy service. It was heavy U.S. and Europe. Uh, but nonetheless, it was, a, it was a, a strong report and points to strong growth. And that's all, all very encouraging. I will say what's coming back onto the scene of something that worries me a little bit is Asian manufacturing. It seemed like things were starting to turn around, but some of the data this week was ugly. Japan, Taiwan, Korea, 10-day exports, you know, those are all things that it looked like they're kind of falling off and that tech story coming back to earth looks like it's, uh, you know, playing a part of the role there. A lot of moving parts in Asia right now, so it's, it's kind of hard to read. Um, so, I mean, I agree. The numbers are disappointing. And I think the, the basic message you're getting is you're not getting a quick and powerful pass through of uh, China lift into Asia. So I think you have to take on the good side. I think you're going to see services travel is going gangbusters. Yeah. And, and you're also seeing services pick up just because the domestic economies are they're not having the reopening China has, but they're in the midst of a normalization. You saw that in the services PMI in Japan uh, overnight. But yeah, I think I, mean, I think if, if, if I were to say just to round out the good side, and I know I'm going to sound like a, kind of a two handed economist here. Uh, yes, there's kind of concerns around some of the readings out of Asia this week. But that other area that we were really concerned about was CapEx. And that looked like it was stalling. If you go back a month ago, we were talking about global CapEx stalling and our CapEx nowcast are looking weak. That's been revised away, and actually this week's CapEx Nowcaster took another step up, and it looks like global CapEx is kind of holding in at about 2 3 maybe even 4%. Those are, you know, middling to solid gains in a world where we thought things were going to be weak. So I just wonder, if demand's I wonder, holding in, I feel okay. I wonder okay. a little bit on that series, whether we're doing a good job translating a number of components that are oh. nominal, that are no nominal into yeah. real. You know, there's a the, most of the indicators we've got have been estimated over a long period where capital goods pricing has been basically flat to down. I, I don't know whether that's a bias, but we'll we'll find Seems out. Been doing a good job um, over the past year, but fair enough. We'll see. But yeah. anyway, I I think you're right. Asian industries on the soft side, notwithstanding uh, that we got a a decent uh, set of readings on export orders for February in Taiwan and the March export orders in the. Um, Japanese particularly PMI. capital goods, which is feeding into the capex side of things. But let's let's sort of turn to the central bank specifically here. So, um, what's next? You know, let's think. We had the Fed this week, and you know, I think the right right way to read the Fed is they uh, they took out guidance to a large degree. Um, you know, at the same time that they moved twenty five, they did basically what the ECB uh, did the week before on that. And um, the question is, what's going to Another way of putting it is what's going to drive the Fed decision in May uh, in a world in which we're not looking for crisis and we're not looking for break into recession. So as we look at this thing in a more marginal sort of set of uh, inputs on growth, inflation and financial markets, you know, well, what I is it? What does the Fed have to do to continue to tighten here? Or what is it? What was or what would it get, take to get the Fed to to stop here? I think the Fed and, and all central banks, I think the ECB kind of laid the, you know, laid the, the path ahead, uh, the, the Fed followed it, and the Bank of England followed it uh, as well, hiking uh, 25 basis points. And, you know, all central banks are kind of continuing along the path of, you know, 
of tightening and recognizing the risk. They're kind of telling the same story that we're telling here that yes, there's a, there's a risk out there. Uh, we need to be mindful that some of this tightening is, in, is an intended consequence of, of what we're trying to do in terms of slow things down, but we're gonna manage the, the, the potential shocks and something breaking. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that, but for now, we're, we're looking at our, the, the macro policy and we're kind of maintaining that separation principle, thinking on the financial stability side, we've got macro prudential, regulatory, lender of last resort tools to deal with that. And on the other hand, we're looking at these pretty hot inflation numbers. We're looking at growth running well above potential. I mean, simply put, the second derivative on both growth and inflation uh, and labor markets is kind of greater than zero. And that should tell you that you're not getting enough traction. You're getting traction from rate hikes to borrowing costs and lending standards. But the next step of getting traction to the macro economy is just not quite showing yet. And therefore, I think they're going to keep moving. And while the market has taken out a rate hike, we still think in May you're going to get another hike from, from the Fed. Yeah, I'd be a little bit more balanced there, which is to say I think, uh, I think the, all of the stuff on the macro side unless it decisively weakens, would keep them leaning. But I think if we're still sitting in a world where they feel as much uncertainty about uh, stress in the financial system, banking sector specifically, I think it, it becomes a close call what they do. In oh, May. yeah. No, I would a whole, I definitely agree with that. I, I mean, I'm kind of assuming that we see a continuation of, of really what we're getting this week, which is a bit of a fading and a step down of some of the- uh, some right, of we, the have to, of we have to see some sense that this is turning into a, a macro story of credit tightening rather than a continued- You mean to elevated. get them to, to pause or change- no, To get them to tighten, I think it has to turn into a macro story about measuring a credit tightening against the backdrop of the data, as opposed to still a lot of uncertainties about whether this thing is under control or not in terms of stress. And we'll- you know, we'll see how that plays itself out. I guess the last thing we should do is just point to um, what we have up next week. We've got European inflation. We got the, I think we have the PMIs out or not the following well, week. Do we get yeah, the, I think they got, that's the following week. The following uh, week. Yeah, we had, I would just point out, we did have uh, Japan inflation today, which was hot. Surprise, surprise, everywhere around the world, inflation's running hot. And next week, as you noted, we'll be getting an inflation print. We're looking for yet another hot reading there, five tenths, I think, on the on the core. Uh, that's after seven tenths the month before. So, I mean, your inflation is just, you know, running like crazy. Uh, yeah, and that's the interesting thing is they're having a greater downward pressure on headline because of the unwind of the right. energy price. So in a sense, the get you're getting the growth benefit of inflation falling off, but not the relief on the on the central bank side because the core is staying very hot. The so. other piece of data that we get that's I think going to be interesting to catch people's attention is real PCE, and we are looking for a contraction. Uh, I was after some strong <laughs> reading, so I guess that's why you're laughing, which is fair. Uh, but we're looking for it to be down a tenth. Uh, the good right, sector. Right, but if we get that, we get that. I know we're, we're still running like four percent. Four and a quarter on first quarter consumption. Is it four which, and a quarter now? Okay. Wow. Yeah, which is um, pretty you know, gangbuster. It's yeah, it's it's the one tenth off of the off of the February gain, which I think was a, a percent, if I'm not mistaken, in real terms, is just yeah. not not a weak reading. Um, yeah. No, that's right. That's so right. Uh, you know, we'll see there, and um, I guess um, that's enough for today. There's plenty going on, and there's plenty yeah. to to worry about and think about here, but. Um, We'll leave it there, and thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, hope we can continue this conversation next week again 
on JP Morgan TV. Thank you.